0: Welcome back, America and other countries, to Rumor Requirement Episode 10, a podcast dedicated to resistance and soul care in the time of Trump.
1: I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Rao, and with me is Miracle Jones.
0: Too true, too true. We
1: like to start every podcast with checking in with each other, uh, seeing how we're doing, how we're attempting to survive. And thrive in the age of Trump, because um, for two people who take politics relatively seriously, it's, it's a rough time. So, how are you doing,
0: Miracle Jones? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been a barrage of crazy shit this week. Like, this has been, I think it's an unprecedented week in American history, so, you know, like, if people are looking back at this in the future and saying, like, how did people respond to the... Theme? Colossal amount of revelations that you can pack into like a few days, like you know, <laughs> with confusion
1: and like despair. Yeah. And, uh, chaos is the operative word, as well as uh, the operating procedure. <laughs> sure. But okay. uh, outside of politics, I think uh, it's yeah.
0: important for us to kind of carve a space. I been so watching a lot of uh, uh, the movies from last year. Yeah. The, the Best Picture nominees. I was trying to watch them all. Sure. Did you manage to succeed? I uh, no, I haven't watched all of them yet. But uh, we'll talk about it when, it when I finally get to it. Well. Okay, all right. Even when it's bad, it's like finding out why it's bad is entertaining. Okay.
1: Um, all right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am a big proponent of both escapism yeah, and yeah. in particular movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't see as many movies as I want, but I'm, I'm gearing up to see maybe Logan this week, which i Oh, yeah, forward. you're looking forward to that one. Um, so I think it's going to be good, and I think I'm going to go see it with a friend of mine who we... Who's my comic book movie guy? Yeah, I've yeah, yeah. Uh, known him since I was like eight or nine. So I think this is a, is a,
0: it's gonna be good. I think. I have a question. How do you decide to see a movie? What is this? What are the steps you go sure, through?
1: This is a good question because like um, uh, I don't have a lot of time anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and I am married, and we have an active social life, and all of that. So that just, uh, and my wife doesn't necessarily love movies. So she's pretty selective, whereas I am not selective. I'll focus, say, on something like the AV Club, um, and I'll say, okay, well, that's my first screen. So anything that gets above a B is probably worth reading about and then uh, keep my eyes open. Um, I'm a sucker for certain types of genres. Um, I will always be curious about a comic book movie. I don't necessarily need to see all of them. Um, But then... When I see a movie that sparks my interest, I have to I have to divide it. Is it just going to be a movie that I see alone, in which case my precious alone time is going to be dedicated to that movie? Or is it some some kind of movie that I can say, like, oh, wife of mine, we're going to get, oh, can we see a movie together? Or maybe we should see this movie together as a way that we spend time together. Um, so that is a smaller, much smaller category. Um, because... Uh, Anytime I'd suggest a bad movie, uh, you know, it just means that we're not going to be able to see a movie for a while. Right. Um, and it's not like an explicit thing, but it's just, it's very obvious. My wife's enthusiasm for movies diminishes <laughs> rapidly after a after a bad movie. And unfortunate for, unfortunately for me, uh, the last movie I think I took her to see was La La Land.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's terrible. I'm, I'm going to watch it all. I've only made it through. 14 minutes. I can only watch it in 7 minute increments before I have to turn it off. So, um,
1: I am someone who actually really liked that movie. Oh. Which <laughs> <laughs> makes everything
0: even worse. If we were married and yes. you took me to see that movie Yeah, we would have a fight after <laughs> I'm, I'm high maintenance so I'm just saying fight that, yeah you sound terrible <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> uh, my wife was
1: not happy and so we haven't seen a movie since then I'm getting better as a screener of like what kind of movies I think my wife would like but it's not uh, it's not 100% um, so uh, that's 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 generally my movie picking process what about yourself
0: well see I like I like really messed up like psychedelic movies that are like bad and creative. Mm. And so I have a hard time finding them. I can basically only find them the same way that you might find, like, snuff films, which is, like, word of mouth. And I have the cultivated uh, network. A group of, a network of, like, dirtbag friends. Who, like, shady people. Peaking, Yo, you got to see this. <laughs> I'm like, I guess I do. Let's watch it right now. And, like, most, it's like whether it's, like, a good or bad experience, it's always something I remember. Like, it's, like, in there for permanent, you know? And okay. that's what I seek in a movie. Just, like, a really, like... Uh, sublime in the same way that you, that Shelley talks about the sublime as in like, contemplating a mountain you don't understand. Not necessarily as in something good. Okay. But uh experience and so right. for me, like a movie that's just adequate, like the King's speech or you yeah. know, something like that. It's like I I respect this as a well made movie. I almost hate worse than like um uh, that's that, I, I, that's perfectly
1: understandable. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. I think that uh I guess to m- me the, there are very few types of movies I don't like. Like I'm I am happy for you to allow me to have a moment of escapism for yeah, like that's 90 fair. minutes. Like I don't uh, and to me that's just movies are escapist fair and that I don't expect them to reflect anything great in my life and sometimes if I get something that's interesting out of it that's great but like I um uh, yeah, I, I guess I just don't mind the mediocrity. I pretty much, at any given time, I want to see six or eight
0: movies in the movie theater. That's that's <laughs> impressive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I will go. <laughs> I will go. Like I will see anything. Yeah, just, that's my yeah. Voice. But no one wants to hear your bitching after. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I did want to get myself on record for doing two things. I guess to improve my life. Okay, I need to get like ID because I'm an undocumented citizen. I okay. guess. Right. And so like I want, I want to put that on the record but like that's something I need to take care of. And I also need to go see a dentist, so at some point please just bother me if I have not done that over the weeks. When's the last time you saw a dentist? Like a year ago. And how about you? Are there any things that you definitely need to do that you're just avoiding?
1: Uh I probably have to I have to probably go to my doctor for a physical at some point. Like a full on physical Yeah, I I generally need them for a year. So that's that's a good thing to do. Um I uh I have not in any way Taken on learning anything about the martial arts. I have, I, again, like I was sick and yeah, no, that's mad. fair. Also, just making excuses. <laughs> just to be honest. Um, you uh, feel your own power, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like you know, I'm busy and I have like my exercise
0: slot, so it's it's harder for me to work in new types of exercise. And uh, have you ever? studied the uh, ancient art of chess boxing chess boxing I mean, no chess boxing. no I, I, is this where you where you fight and then you do chess yeah it's invented by the Wu-Tang Clan I believe the only sport they've invented <laughs> so far but uh, you, a round of chess yeah. and then a round of boxing and I even, think I've heard about you can this you either win by checkmate or knockout
1: oh nice yeah. um, but that's actually an interesting side note because I've always wanted to talk about um, do you, uh, uh, so you know the pentathlon sure yeah yeah, yeah yeah. the pentathlon was created in the modern Olympics. Olympics is a way of sort of roping together all these skills um, that were important um, to military types or to warriors around the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th century. So it's shooting and equestrian (laughs) and fencing. (laughs) And I want them to reinvent the modern pentathlon to be truly modern. So it would be hacking. And Magic the Gathering.
0: <laughs> and MMA. <laughs> yeah. And foreign language
1: teaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, I wonder what that would look like, actually. Uh, Parkour. So, um, I'd be curious if any of our listeners have any ideas about what the modern pentathlon really should
0: look like. Yeah. even that? Um, then we can study for it, become masters of it. No.
1: <laughs> I just want us to be honest about who we are. That will never happen. <laughs> like someone could walk in on the street and still be better at all five than us.
0: Yes, street. hide our streak. <laughs> uh,
1: there are uh, far better uh, human beings than us. Second, we don't care about the modern pentathlon as a sporting event. We care about it as, as a sporting. Enterprise. We (laughs)
0: want to promote it. All right, now you're talking about like. What about like a boxing gym that specialized in pitting people of different political ideologies against each other so they could work out their actual aggression? So, like, you only fought like Dem, you know, Republicans. Democrats fight each other Democrats and Sanderscrats fight each other
1: I think that's great yeah, yeah, that right. would be, It would be a much better way To solve so many
0: of our political yeah, debates yeah.
1: Not only on the, <laughs> on the ground level But just at a higher level <laughs> sure. as well and also, I feel like one of the problems With our modern discourse is we kind of exist in bubbles But like, sure. if you're both forced to learn The sweet science yeah. uh, What would that kind of uh, segue Do you want to talk about politics? Yeah. It's, it's been a rough week as you pointed out Uh, It's just a lot of things coming from the Trump administration. I kind of want to take one step back and talk about the cult of personality around Trump. And by talking about Trump all the time, his end goal was actually just creating this cult of personality because finally the world can be as obsessed with Trump as he always has (laughs) been. Um, But I don't know how in any way to diminish that, but I think it's sort of playing into what he actually wants. I mean, beyond wanting to put policy forth. He really wants to put his name forth. And uh, it's it's a shame because we are actually forced to talk about his mental state, which is uninteresting.
0: Yeah, I'd hate to be like a pop star celebrity right now. You know, just trying to get your brand out there. There's just like no space for anybody. Like, right, yeah. Because uh, unfortunately we've
1: taken the worst kind of modern... Icon, which is celebrity, and then
0: giving them real power. <laughs> yeah, right. That is Donald Trump. And not not even a good one, too. I keep I keep wondering, like, what if it had been Schwarzenegger, you know? Oh,
1: yeah, actually, yeah. semi-competent.
0: Yeah. S- his job. Semi-competent, kind of measured, you know, right. like, able to, like, pull people in from both sides. Yeah. I, that would be de- dangerous as hell, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's just do the timeline. So there's the Trump, Trump speech, right. where he came out and did his, you know, like, address to join Houses of Congress. Sure. Uh, then there was the Sessions situation. Yeah, so Jeff Sessions uh, was effectively caught uh,
1: lying, misleading Congress about how much he had talked to the Russian government or or some affiliate with the Russian government. So this is a. And there was a, a blowout or a blowup around that in which Sessions has finally agreed to recuse himself for. A, um, or
0: may have been thinking that the whole time. You don't right. know what's in Jeff Sessions' mind. Right, right. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's a good question. I like, was uh, uh, listening in there,
1: uh, I think uh, some people at the Wall Street Journal have said that Jeff Sessions has got to be thinking of himself as the luckiest man in, in D.C. right now, just because, you know, he doesn't have to handle the Russia.
0: Oh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Broglio or whatever. Like, I mean... Uh, then you have a couple more aides got caught up uh, being caught meeting with the Russian ambassador, Kislyak. Yeah. Uh, then Saturday morning, Trump wakes up and tweets that, you know, Obama he, has won. I found out. In, in theater, my friend Amy Anderson told me that if you ever, if you're ever doing an impression of like a. Uh, a televangelist preacher yeah. and you, you're at, you're stuck and you yeah. don't know what to say next just scream out I found out and then <laughs> something else will come to you <laughs> but uh, yeah so he found out that uh, Obama yeah. wiretapped him right uh, and you know needs to get to the bottom of this immediately yeah immediately then the next day everybody got on the record saying we have no fucking clue what he's talking about including the head of the FBI and the former CIA director and Uh, that brings us up to Monday in which
1: two substantive uh, pieces of legislation or policy came forth one, the rewriting of the executive order around travel bans yeah, uh, and as well as the first draft of the House of how they were going to tackle Uh, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act so these are two substantive uh, pieces of policy that once again have to compete with the news space of Trump's allegations about wiretapping Right. so again I can't tell if this is strategy or they're sort of fumbling into a way to distract the media um, or whether or not in general it's easier for the media to cover something like wiretapping where you can interview a couple of talking heads and say like oh we're uh, indignant, blah, 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 or rather than having to dig through legislation to think about uh, complicated situations that are going to be made even more complicated by changes in policy, right? Any
0: thoughts on the speech, first of all? I, I didn't see it, I read it, and I read like a, a Bush Jr. speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if, if addressed in the speech... In any way, the divisiveness that he himself personally had brought to America in the past year, right. it might be credible that we should forgive him for something, but he did not in any way see that. Well. Let, yeah. I mean, of all the things that could happen out of a Trump <laughs>
1: administration or a Trump presidency, him admitting that he is guilty of anything bad. Yeah. It's just not going to be it.
0: Or even ancillary, you could say, you know, people have seen things in me that they shouldn't have. And sure. Uh, this is a much,
1: yeah, that's a much more complicated, nuanced sense of self. That I, know,
0: <laughs> I think that he's incapable
1: of, and I think that's, and I think that's just not the message that's going to be projected for.
0: Right, so beyond that, beyond any kind of apology for things that he has personally done, or, you sure. know, things that have come out based on his personality, uh... I care not they tell us all to come together it's like fucker you're the reason we're not coming together it's like, <laughs> did you actually watch it? Uh,
1: I, I saw bits and parts of it I don't yeah, think yeah. I, I would not have lasted <laughs> through the whole hour but I, I think he can be charismatic I don't think he was particularly charismatic in that speech um, uh, and he mentioned a few things that I thought were important um, I think it's a move to the center and I think it quiets the Republican side mm-hmm. that says that he can look presidential to Republicans because up until that moment he didn't yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and so the move to the center is effectively reaching out within the aisle right sure and that's important because he's coming from a wing of the party he's not coming from the center of the Republican party so a move to the center just means that he is able to give cover to the Republicans to say hey we can rally behind our president it's not a complete embarrassment um so I thought that was actually effective there was no reaching across the aisle I don't think that's part of the long-term strategy of the Trump wing of the Republican Party, but I thought it was an effective piece of political theater actually, very effective. Um, do you have any thoughts on Jeff Sessions, though? I love his
0: skin. I think when we talk about Jeff Sessions, we should always talk about just how creamy white and like, <laughs> it's just like how soft his skin is yeah. and his hair. You yeah. know, he's got he's got to have some great product. He really does. Like it's yeah. he's just he's, he's like a he's like a, a satiny pillow. Mm-hmm. When you just want to rub your face on mm-hmm. him or you know use him to wipe away a stain. <laughs> Jeff Jeff Sessions, I you know he's a folksy cracker. You know from Alabama, like yeah. I. I he's the kind of person I like least on planet Earth. I mean, I I don't know what to tell you. Like,
1: Uh, yeah, I think growing up, there's a sense that maybe Jeff Sessions is close to what I consider the nemesis. (laughs) Yeah, anyone who grew up in the South who came from a Democrat or Center, you're like, oh yeah, that kind of Republican. Yeah. Uh, He uh, and I've said this before, and I really do think this that he more or less has taken. Any kind of instinct that makes one racist, and push it onto immigrants. Sure. So instead of being racist, it is he is he has reconfigured it in a way that is I am pro American and I and so the flip side of that is that everything that is wrong in this country is based on the fact that people are coming into it um, from outside or outside European type countries. So um, and it is not technically racist, but it is certainly a prejudice. Yeah, I mean, and I think he is a, he has a hard-line prejudice about uh, how he thinks about immigrants and how he thinks about nationality and it's sort of a
0: more acceptable version of racism yeah maybe we just have to stop calling something else yeah. we're testing the brandings all off now like new Americans or like right. or, or, or heritage people I don't, yeah. I don't know something that like right. will fucking tap into the fact that these people can be white too Jeff Sessions <laughs> did you ever think of that? <laughs> <laughs> and
1: I think that's that's kind of why he and maybe Bannon uh, are so simpatico is that they they have this way of thinking of the world that is deeply prejudiced yeah. um, and their solution for things is to throw up borders around the country um, and try to re-engineer a demographic change that's coming that is going to make America less white. Um, and they're literally trying to re-engineer this demographic trend. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I always think of demographics as very, very hard to change, um, but um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's a
0: tripartite scheme, you know, you deport, mm-hmm. you eliminate voting rights mm-hmm. and you also scare people away so that, you know, you keep people from wanting to come here in the first place Yeah, there was a really interesting
1: article in The Economist this week about the French elections mm-hmm. um, and so it's interesting to think about how the right wing plays out for the French population as opposed to the, uh, the US and we tend to think of uh, you know, Republicans as being older and less comfortable with the demographic changes underneath them, um And uh, and so, you know, I can always say, like, okay, well, they can try it, but, you know, eventually that generation is going to die out, and younger people are much more comfortable with uh, a mixed group of uh, mixed races, uh, different people from different backgrounds, and so eventually they'll lose that vote. In France, it's different, though. It's actually that uh, older people are much more into Europe um, than they are, say, young people. Young people are actually much more likely to vote for someone like Marine Le Pen,
0: I think given your options too, you know. I think Hollande has like a four percent approval rating. Sure, pay attention, socialists of the world. These then you've got and Juppé. They're they're center right, you know, and they're both they're doomed. They're not going to win, but you know, Fulon's not dropping out. And so you know, all they've got left is this center-left future of Macron en marche but it's a a different culture war in France right absolutely Uh, they are way less Puritan than we are just about different things so their conflicts with I guess like other religions and Islam and cultures come from a different place than ours do you know we're about freedom of religion they are not they're about no religion right so their left is coming from a more atheist libertine left who sees Islam as a different kind of incursion. Yeah. I disagree with them, but I can understand yeah. where you might be coming from differently than I can from somebody like Jeff Sessions. Right? right. What do you think is actually
1: happening, or happened, with Russia? It is certainly a detriment to it is a stumbling block for the
0: administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that. But it's not clear that there is a lot of substance. I mean s- stipulated. Putin is a horrible dirtbag. Yes. Stipulated. It was in Putin's interest yeah. to keep Hillary Clinton from being president. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and corollary, there's a good chain of evidence that shows that Russia used, used its resources to promote hacks that divided the left during the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Then the question becomes, like, to what extent was the Trump campaign complicit in all this or just the benefactors of it? Right.
1: Um, I think there's also a story about uh, Russia didn't really expect Trump to win. What they were hoping to do was weaken the Clinton president. Yeah,
0: and then they got lucky. Um, Or unlucky, you know.
1: Yeah, and then the side story is maybe... um, Maybe instead of uh, political benefits, there may be other benefits that we don't really talk about that were enjoyed by Trump's team, his administration, his family, indirectly. So
0: sure, but in Putin's Russia, the two are similar. The right. same. So yeah, absolutely. So by making us more like them, right? Know, to what extent are we more able to be controlled in a way that Putin understands?
1: Yeah, well, I just want to point out. I mean, the benefits are not only political, but they could also be
0: very personal. Yeah, we just don't know anything. There's no leaks. There's no audio recordings. Nobody's testifying. Nobody's broken ranks. Right. We don't have a deep throat. We don't have a John Dean. Right. What we have is, uh, uh, like, ten incompetent people.
1: It's really hard to tell whether or not Trump is engaging in just very dumb rhetoric around Russia, where he runs to their defense and he continues to, to talk about how much he likes Putin in a in a way that just doesn't sell the presidency, or he's actually acting as if he's captured, like he's actually, his instinctive defense of someone like uh, Vladimir Putin is a little bit more than his ego, it's actually that the Kremlin has some sort of leverage with him. And it's very hard to tell because a lot of his policy seems to be counter the general national interests of the United States. I think after the invasion of Crimea, I think it's just very hard for us to look
0: on Russia with much sympathy. My heart bleeds for the Russian people. Sure. And my heart bleeds for the Russian people in the same way that it's going to bleed for the American people in the same in the next eight years. So what do you think? I mean, do you think there's something underneath all this? Do you think there's going to be a day when we find out some sort of truth about what has happened? So I, those are two different questions. Do yeah. I think that he is
1: captured? Do I think that there is something going on? Yeah. Uh, there's some sort of collusion or agreement with Trump and those in power in Russia, I kind of think there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have proof. So I, so if there is an investigation and it comes to the conclusion that there really isn't a connection between the two, there isn't something more nefarious going on, I wouldn't be super surprised. But I have a feeling that a long time ago, uh, Russia effectively um, either gathered material on Trump or, or someone, uh, some of his immediate confidants and they continue to use that. I mean, that would be well within the Russian playbook. Uh, certainly there have been enough opportunities to do so. I am um, someone who read something like the BuzzFeed um, reproduction of the intelligence, and I, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if they had Compromat on Donald Trump and they would be willing to use it. I think there is a counter argument that says that he has... Uh, put in place some very strong anti putin uh, voices in his cabinet, especially his son, like the mattis wing of of the cabinet is so. yeah. um, but I also think that those people have been sidelined mm-hmm. like they're not being brought in the way that bannon and if uh, they're not key to the decision making the way that ban- the bannon wing is and so i'm i don't uh, I don't know of anything that he has done, and i I could be wrong that has in any way gone against the interests of Russia, with the exception of a promise of a buildup in the military, which may or may not be anti-Russia. Um, and then a, a Hey, it's
0: Russia's military now. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, right,
1: <laughs> now, now, now we're a vassal
0: state. Sure. Um, Better have American lives fight the Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: there, I guess there's more talk about shale gas and, and energy independence, but that's talk. Here's your I, mm-hmm.
0: I think everybody has compromise on Trump. I think Russia does yeah. I think the Republicans do I think they have their own set maybe it's the same shit maybe it yeah. doesn't overlap I think the Democrats do Yeah, and it's a question of who's going to pull the trigger first that is, is what Russia has worse than what the Republicans have he knows what he said in the, you know, the tapes as far as uh... the celebrity apprentice is it worse than whatever Gloria Allred has, you know, right now? What does Gloria Allred have? Well, she's bringing a lawsuit against him oh, uh, on of, yeah, 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 and that's happening Some, right. stay tuned, that's happening later in 2017 right. I think he's somebody that's juggling everybody knowing way more about him than America, the American people do yeah what do you think Bill Clinton knows about Donald Trump probably a lot (laughs) in which case where is that information being held and why it was right right. what vault is that yeah and what to what extent would it incriminate Bill Clinton I mean like it's a whole nested matryoshka of terrible shit that we don't know and we have to make choices and guesses about why people are acting does it? But th- the thing that I cannot believe and, tr- and choose not to believe and just refuse to believe is that Donald Trump is anything but a crazy, stupid old man. Like, I cannot look at that illiterate guy and see the light of reason or uh, a good heart or a future plan or anything other than he is a charismatic, sometimes narcissist. charismatic n- narcissist. Yeah, yeah. i we, agree with that, 100%. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's why that, that's what leads us to this speculation of yeah. like, who is pushing him to do whatever because
1: yeah it, I, I want to go back to the fact that he
0: is a useful idiot we just don't know who's
1: <laughs> he, he is sure. um, uh, and I think that's about it for Russia yeah. um, except for this tangential issue of wiretapping um, <laughs> yes <and laughs> so the wiretapping is uninteresting as a claim right mm. I just um, I, I guess the FBI had tried to take out um, some sort
0: of FISA, um, uh, some sort of FISA order, or had an existing FISA, FISA order order on you know Russian assets that suddenly right. found they found to be in the orbit of the Trump campaign. Right. You know? Exactly. So uh,
1: that's less interesting. I guess the idea is that this follows for me. This follows a pattern, right? So Saturday morning, there are, uh, tr- uh, distraction. Right. Yeah. So what is uh, Trump trying to distract us from? Right. So, uh, is it just the Jeff Sessions thing? Um, Is he trying to get the narrative back? Was he trying to lay the groundwork for something like the new executive order? Um, Or is he just flailing? What was an effective move in the past? He wants to try again. Effectively, isn't a great method of distraction because the subtext of this is that Russia was a real concern to people around
0: him. Well, I would say that the loudest elements on the right and the left both think the CIA is out to get them. Right. (laughs) I mean it it plays well with the paranoid base for sure. In Uh, which case by government overreach narratives and things like that. They've tapped my phone and they're, you know, poisoning my water. Right. You know. In in which case they're reminding people of their inherent distrust of these organizations right before these organizations start to Dump stuff on him is a good idea. I mean, um, it's way less effective distraction. We we're not trying to choose between two people. Right. Obama is not on a ballot. Right. He's just a man we all miss.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: and, and he continues. Actually, Trump continues to dump on the Obama legacy, and uh, <laughs> largely because he's a self-absorbed narcissist. He yeah, wants yeah. someone else. He doesn't love the idea that that people think of Obama fondly, and he's had. A long-standing animus towards Obama, um, but are these signs of an administration in turmoil? So I think the problem is that the left always sees this as like, "Oh, okay, well the uh, administration is on the verge of collapse," and
0: I think that is seeing what you want to see. Yeah, I think it's a sign of an administration that can survive anything. Right. I mean, this seems to be touching their approval rating, not at all. Yep. Uh, people are starting to get exhausted by it. You know. Yeah. They, without some sort of definitive, game-changing videotape or audio tape proof yeah. that nails somebody, they will pass what they need to pass. And it's—I say—you know—it's—it's it, going to be rough. It's going to be a rough four years to deal with, knowing that they can skate by on right. all this. You know,
1: they yeah. certainly do seem to show signs of incompetence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think every administration struggles their first hundred days in office. Yeah, I mean the
0: Trump administration is going to be crazy old and stupid like yeah. Trump and it's going to succeed in getting its crazy stupid old ideas passed and, Right, um, we're going to
1: have to fight those ideas and Right, and this is a perfect segue to the real substantive debate which is, well there was one piece of legislation that was floated which is the Republicans reconfiguring of the ACA mm-hmm. and also the executive order on the travel ban mm-hmm. um, uh, When you talk about the travel ban Um, It is a much more reasonable incarnation of a terrible policy idea. Uh, So it is not as obviously poorly executed as the first travel ban, um, but there are substantial issues with it, I think, as well as a general idea that the policy itself is completely misguided. But to critique it, I think you have to dig into it. And it is a much more subtle argument than saying a Muslim ban
0: or um, revoking green card rights, or you know, cracking down on the right of refugees to come here who are our allies that we're fighting a war with. <laughs> right,
1: and also with the uh, with the ACA reconfiguration, I think it's it's a hard thing because um, the legislation itself is complicated, so it's hard to know what the implications
0: of any of this is. And the metric that we will be using to determine its effectiveness is in question. So right. we have yet to settle on a good one. Is it an amount of people insured? Is it how much upper-middle-class people pay for their right. health insurance? Right. What is the metric that will judge whether or not health care is being done right in America? Right. I wonder if
1: in some ways this was a, a a rollout that ends up working for Trump's favor, that by throwing out a really bad, aggressive first move,
0: you waste the other person's energy fighting you and then you are a label able to get? Maybe. I think it's a terrible strategic decision. I think they should have just let it ride because it's only good for 120 days. If something happens during those 120 days, he's going to get blamed and he's going to simultaneously look like he wasn't strong enough to pass what he wanted to pass. Right. So he's going to take the fall for it both ways. Right. Uh, And and no one's going to be happy about it. It's just going to lead to a million news stories about people getting detained and uh, the the countries in question are going to be pissed at us. It looks like a way for an administration to save face mm-hmm. and you know do yeah. a partial you know thing they wanted to do which is only going to hurt them I mean I think we should it should be fought on the grounds of travel bans are a stupid idea unless you're actually at war with one of these countries right
1: and also to acknowledge that we do a serious amount of vetting for refugees. Refugees are among the
0: more vetted people to come to the country. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's a hateful, bad idea. Yeah. It probably won't be seen as an illegal thing, except insofar as the motivations for it are clearly racist. But whether the Supreme yeah. Court will take that into account or not, who knows? Being, being that they asked for certain things to be struck out of it, and they got the, that, those things struck out of it. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on the new ACA or the or Trump Care? <laughs> Trump Care? Uh, what do you think about it?
1: <laughs> um, I think it's a complicated piece of legislation, and I don't understand it enough. And I don't want to opine about something I don't. I haven't had time to dig into. In the end, I think healthcare is just super complicated. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm honestly surprised they didn't try to do the tax cuts first yeah if I were drawing a timeline for ways in which to to sell programs, right, I would
1: start with the tax cuts. This is a classic uh, this is a classic failure. Uh, there are a number of, of administrations in the past actually two out of the last three administrations spend a lot of um, political capital on health care early on to their detriment, like mm-hmm. both Clinton and the and the Obama administration and now the Trump administration are going to spend a lot of capital on trying to fix a very complicated system. And insofar as we exist in a, an age of extreme partisanship, I think you're also not able to forge a path forward because you have to, whatever party's putting it forward has to confer with their own ideologies. Yeah. And neither party has a great way to, to handle healthcare because in some ways it may be an intractable issue. So there are a couple things that got buried in all of this Like there's a lot going on But there are a couple of things that got buried right? yeah. And we talked a little bit about this One thing that that got buried was voter fraud right? So there are So uh, Trump uh, Many weeks ago uh, Started talking about massive voter fraud In not a dissimilar situation In the way that he talked about wiretapping This weekend um, and, it's, and for some reason uh, It is something that There was actually a fair amount of uh, pushback Uh, within his own party and it seems to have died Um, and I guess finally uh, what's his name? Chaffetz Chaffetz. has said that they won't investigate voter fraud. Um, What is true on the ground is that a number of um, election monitoring uh, boards within states have done a pretty thorough investigation of their own voting and there are very small incidences of fraud so something like on the order of like Twenty to maybe a hundred within a million votes counted, and like it is not massive conspiratorial frauds. People who didn't understand, uh, I mean, there may be some some cheating here or there, but maybe they didn't understand the rights or didn't understand what was going on. But it is uh, it is not the conspiracy that Trump was alleging, or and it's interesting to see that uh, on the right, even though there was some pushback, there were people saying like, oh well, we don't know about fraud. Um, but there's evidence coming out from both Republican-leading states and Democratic-leading states that says that, okay, we've done the investigation. There just seems to be very little. Uh, so you're talking about something like 0.01%. And, and a lot of that has to do with sloppy bookkeeping and things like that. Um, so it is an issue that got buried um, on, a, on a high level, but also I think it is there's just a lot of evidence that it just doesn't exist.
0: And it's and it's a, a narrative that the Republican Party is, seems to be split on. And, and if th- there is voter fraud, it's done on a district level by a corrupt bureaucracy. Right. It's not done by individuals trying to defraud the system, which
1: is yeah. It, d- it doesn't historically, historically pres- right? It, yeah.
0: Presidential votes don't are no longer susceptible
1: to that. Even though yeah. I guess we have very tight kind of presidential elections, but um, yeah, it just doesn't happen. So, uh, and I, you know, I'm faulting the right because they talk a lot about it, but I mean, the left is also.
0: Yeah, historically, masters of it. You can always tell what the, what district is the most corrupt by which district gets their votes in last. Right. That's the pocket district of one party or the other.
1: Right, right, <laughs> absolutely. And the left is both, uh, they are uh, willing to play the game, but also, I think, um, uh, with the Jill Stein uh, vote count, they're willing to talk about widespread conspiracy in a way that is just unsubstantiated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was that.
0: Um, I mean, really, the question is, how do we get more people to vote? Right,
1: exactly. We're a country that <laughs> doesn't vote. Yeah. So, I mean, anything that brings more votes to the table should actually be looked at as like an effective voting strategy. <laughs> yeah. How did you do that? Corrupt, old boss mom type. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that was it about voter fraud. Anything else? Um, I want to talk about the pipeline, though. Pipeline requirements. So, so this the is Russian something. steel. Yeah. <laughs> so this is something that didn't get a lot of press. Trump um, came up and he and he absolutely promised that we were going to build pipelines with American steel, and he has quietly gone back on it. In in uh, this week of insane news that just got buried, and I don't see. How this is an advantage to him. This is part of the heart, uh, the strategy to reach out to white working class blue collar workers, um, and to buy American. And he has reneged on this, almost nakedly reneged on it. I I don't know how this works out in terms of policy, right? Um, and it seems like it's a bad move. Yeah,
0: no, you. I mean, you'd be if you were a legislator, it'd be great to force you know put a bill out saying that all like. International pipelines must be built with American steel, right. the American portion, or something. Right, right,
1: right. Absolutely. And I mean, in some ways, I mean, it's it's good policy, but bad politics, right? Sure. I mean, we shouldn't be
0: putting constrictions this on American steel. This is Trump's globalist agenda. Right. Exactly. Exactly. He's in league with <laughs>
1: Goldman Sachs. Yeah, yeah.
0: Trudeau is very handsome. Is Trudeau captured by? He's, he's
1: because yeah yeah. Or or is Trump captured by Trudeau? Oh. Or, uh, um. Anyone who's, who thinks we should buy American would have to be really upset by this, and I'm surprised uh, this is part of an early Trump administration decision. I think they, they bet that it would, get, it would get buried, and it did.
0: Yeah, so should we move
1: on? Uh, doubling down on defeats. There are a couple of things that I was thinking about. Um, I had dinner, I think, on the Upper West Side, which is sort of the heart of the bubble, and there was, you know, we talked about politics not that much, but... Um, there was a there were some elements that continued to talk about how angry they were that um, the middle of the country were so blinded or stupid or able to be uh entranced by this idiot um that they sold out their own interests but I think and a lot and I think that's That is how a lot of Democrats see... Yeah, I think we see
0: people in the Midwest think this guy's smart. I think they think he's a great revenge vehicle for, you know, expressing their discontent at the entire system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think we've... And again, it's about uh, the Democrats thinking about their messaging. Like, they failed. They became the party of the establishment. They became a a party to embody a lot of things people don't like about both politics but also society. Um, and there are some things that the Democrats should work towards, um, their messaging, the way that they present themselves. I think, in a lot of ways, uh, the Democratic Party doesn't know how to engage in a debate anymore. Uh, knows how to get really angry really quickly and really indignant but I think it's, and also
0: not have fun like, right you just Sense no sense of joy from people like, engaging yeah who's this snarky debater that's yeah. like okay you're an idiot I'm gonna
1: just take you down right, right. and love it you know? right exactly like there's a
0: we don't have a, we don't have that in the and so and not even Obama he had his own imperiousness to him but he didn't have like a joy for combat right right right
1: and so that is uh, so there's a there's a shrillness in the uh, the way the Democrats engage politically that uh, I think we absolutely need to think about um, toning down at the Mm -hmm. very least if not walking away from we have to be like a a folksy common sense type party and uh, we've been given
0: a great gift in the fact that Trump is an idiot. So you don't take Trump down using mm-hmm. any tactics, but the tactics displayed by Frank Lieutenant Colombo. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I think was that the
1: Democrats have a celebrity issue, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that they have too many. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, you see this talk a lot about any celebrity that leans Democrat is all of a sudden our twenty twenty candidate. <laughs> Um, And that's kind of nonsense It's Tom Hanks and it's Oprah and it's Kanye Uh, So uh, Whereas the Republicans don't have a celebrity issue Because they don't have celebrities Um, And they've just elected their only one Right Thinking about how how a party Puts together leadership In a way that eschews celebrity Like that should be a way that we think about it We want competent Dentist-like people in political (laughs) office
0: Yeah, I mean we need I I'm in favor of liberal technocrats I guess we hate them all now that's my what. favorite kind of person right just somebody who's like changes their opinion based on new data you know like conducts massive amounts of polls and like analysis yeah like a competent version of Robert McNamara yeah sure yeah. or I you know I uh, uh, Imagine like if Sanders could say like a hundred things as opposed to just three. Right, right, <laughs> right, you know? right.
1: Putting forth a wonkish important policy is really is is a key to win against someone who is just the opposite, who's shoot from his gun, who's going to fail. Why don't we go for something that is a very gray, very uninteresting?
0: way of thinking about the government, which is how we should think about it. Right? Yeah, you know, the best debate tactic, to my mind, is getting people on the same page as far as what you want to achieve and then you're debating the details. Right. And I think the things that Americans want to achieve are all largely similar. Yeah. Or you can at least get the Republicans to say that for the five minutes you need during a debate. Yeah, I mean, a general prosperity, better education, all of yeah, these things. Yeah, you just turn to your opponent and say, wouldn't it be great if we had X, you know? Yeah. And then you have a details debate as right. opposed so a value is one, and then it becomes, we can win on the details, and then you're voting for the person who's most prepared to get you to where you want to get to. Or what, yeah, someone you think of as that way. Yeah.
1: The right isn't uh, incorrect that to say that the democratic values or tend to look down on a lot of middle America.
0: That's true. There's also a problem that middle America only sees the elite parts of cities. They don't interact with the vast majority of people in cities who are there because they have no choice. They have to, they have to be there. It's the only place that serves them that can get them a job or that can, yeah. you know, like they, that, that's no, it's not a choice. They have to be in a city if they want to work or, and eat. And, right,
1: right. Or or right. And
0: there's enough. plenty
1: of middle class, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think is, is interesting is, is talking about a little bit about uh, foreign policy in terms of just doubling down on defeat, because I think the Democrats don't have a strong message about foreign policy. They're just afraid to be underpinning globalists. And one of the things that's going to happen is that the Trump administration is largely going to carry out uh, the Obama administration's attempt to sort of withdraw from the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's left a power vacuum, you're seeing various players from Iran to China start to reassert themselves, at least in their local sphere um because America is withdrawn. And I think that it's okay to say that we withdrew because we withdrew because of Bush the Younger's terrible interventionism. Yeah. Um so what
0: you're saying is you were add Bourdain for president. 2020.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things that we don't acknowledge is that the fact that I think of the democratic policies needs a retooling. Yeah. Um and it is something that while we are in the wilderness we should really think about because I I think it's not clear what the I don't think the democratic party has really put together anything that is interesting in terms of foreign policy in a while I would I would think about rather than than individual countries is thinking about alliances with different parts of the world like larger parts of the world and thinking about rather than having a a, an Argentine policy to think about uh, think about an Andean policy, think about a coastal South American policy, think about what
0: it means to be in Southeast Asia in a meaningful way. And we should look outside the traditional... Uh, I guess, like, world order that we're used yeah. to in the same way that the Republicans managed to. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe maybe the new thing is in order to win an election in this country, you need to have the world working for you. For some reason, the Democrats think of Sweden or Scandinavian countries as mm-hmm. their ideal, but I mean yeah. they're
1: much more diverse, much more interesting countries. Yeah, than... they're very
0: small countries that are accidentally wealthy. They're right. no good place to look for, a, you know, yeah. a, a policy because it's going to be, like, in this... Weird hot house that we will not be able to replicate the conditions of. Right, absolutely. Uh, um, except on the state level, looking at those bigger, more diverse countries like Brazil, yeah, uh, is a is a good idea. Yeah. As far as finding stuff that works. So, should we move on to outside the bubble? Yeah, outside the bubble. Yeah, outside the bubble.
1: So, <laughs> so this is the part of the podcast where we try to cite sources that we're uh, from outside our liberal elitist bubble that we think are very mm-hmm. interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, do you want to go first this time? Yeah, sure. So uh, I read this book over the weekend called uh, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. Uh, It was a fantastic book. Uh, It's by this guy Peter Pomerantsov, who is a British-Russian reality TV producer in Putin's Russia. Uh, He worked for TNT, uh, which is, you know, they're all state-owned, but this was a more, he was a doc producer there. Yeah. Uh and it just talks about some of the shows he put together and the things he saw in Putin's Russia as far as like its attempts both at like building democracy and then the ultimate failure of that. Uh and just the way in which uh Putin managed to but he's he's rarely ever mentioned in the book, so it's more of like a, a bottom up look at Putin's Russia, interviewing right. outside sources and uh notably like a gangster that really likes movies and wants to be a movie producer. Uh, uh, he goes into the cult scene in Russia in the in the vacuum of, you know, communist thought control. Mm. Like, there's been massive amount of cults that have come up. It's it's just a fascinating book, but it's really uh, a look at just like how surreal things are there. I guess we we you know it's been talked about how like. Uh, we're facing, I guess, fascism and tw- again resurgent in America in the in the twenty first century. I honestly don't agree with that. I think it's something weirder and that we don't have a name for it yet. This sense of, of being unmoored and like without really truth or re, you know right. and I think certain leaders have been able to capitalize on that really well mm-hmm. uh, and the book's interesting because it talks a lot about uh, Putin's chief political technologist which is a terrifying name for a job but maybe we have one now too Right. Uh, under Bannon but the, the, his chief political technologist is this guy, Serov I believe is his name but uh, anyway, he's a science fiction writer, so he's he's done all these he's written all these novels, and he's uh, he was a PR expert. He says like everything's PR, oh, wow. and it's kind of his uh, his job has been to basically manufacture opposition political parties and make sure that you know the the, the sense of democracy is still there, even though in actuality it does not exist.
1: Uh-huh. Uh,
0: and how that is done, how you manage to discredit people quickly and instantly, but also like find new. Uh, sources of, I guess, like resurgent patriotism, uh, and then marshal those to your your side. Like the way that uh, the bikers in Russia were once like an American thing. They were once seen as like right. this, uh, you know, outsider like Western thing. They all Harley's, and they have now become part of like Putin's the shock troops. Yeah, the Night Wolves or whatever. Yeah. Uh, do you think uh, the current administration are taking any pages from that playbook? I think it's just a, it just inevitably comes up. It's just an outcropping of how we're all connected, how Twitter works on our minds, how social media causes bad ideas to spread so quickly and then we forget about them. He mentions in the book how it's like one moment you feel like you're in a totalitarian state, then you feel like you're in a democracy, then you feel like you're in a just pure chaos, then you feel like you're in a movie, then you feel like you're in a dystopia. And then you feel like you're in you know, a sex party. Like just, There's just no grounding for what reality you're living in. And people no. live in different realities, so they're always selling their own. And it's just this constant costume change and churning. It makes people feel dissatisfied and curious, and then their needs are taken advantage of by the state. I I find the book really fascinating for that reason because it just seems like something we're all just going to have to confront. Maybe Russia just got there first as a result of having their world kicked out from under them when communism fell, and we're seeing them become the best at it really quickly, and so they're moving, they're they're exporting their their, uh, political model uh, all around the
1: world. Yeah, I mean, they certainly have become amazing players in terms of as- asymmetric warfare right yeah, like, yeah, um, yeah. and they just reading. Really, I, I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about that kind of warfare is the revenge of the weak against the strong and they mm. have become masters of that right it's a weaker country but they're able to punch above their weight based on tactics and things that they've decided to specialize in
0: yeah absolutely so you know i recommend reading this book if you're curious as to yeah. what it's like to live in putin's russia and so it's a, it's a really well-written book as well and Five stars. Oh, and the name again is? Uh, nothing is true and everything is possible uh, inside the surreal heart of Putin's Russia. Okay. Uh, and it's by just get Peter Pomeratov. Okay. I think for my contribution,
1: uh, it is a speech. Uh, when Donald Trump was giving his speech to uh, Congress uh, this, um, uh, this week, I kind of thought about other speeches, and, and one of the speeches that, came, that kept coming up was... Um, there are a couple of stump speeches uh, Trump gave to uh, in the heartland, um, especially to I think a steelworker plant, um, and I didn't think uh, the the speech he gave this week was any great shakes. But seeing Trump uh, try to rally uh, st- like the steelworkers or the old uh, Rust Belt is 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 an amazing thing and i thought he was really effective and really charismatic and this is where he belongs giving those kind of stump speeches you i thought and these are kind of policies i just don't believe in um whether they're Mm bi-american or kind of but the way he sells it and the crowd's reaction it's really impressive and this is uh, effectively why i think the democrats deserve to lose the rust belt is because our person on the ground, there was Hillary Clinton, and I can see now, uh, and I guess we should have seen then, that he was able to pull in and communicate effectively a message that people wanted to hear in those areas. Um, So uh, I thought thought it's it's just worth listening to and, and to think about what Knowing what we know now, what is an effective response to that? Because he is really charismatic; he's very much in his element in doing stump speeches to those kind of crowds. And uh, keep in mind, like he didn't have to bust in people; people were really enthusiastic about his presidency. So, um, trying to peel off that kind of uh, that kind of potential voter is going to be hard. Whether he continues to pursue policies that seem to go back on these kind of promises, I don't know, but. Uh, really, I think it's it's very salutary to listen to Trump speak well in front of an audience that really appreciates him.
0: I'm not sure we'll ever be able to turn your rust belt steel worker into a Democrat again. Again, uh, yeah, just for identity reasons. Yeah, I agree. But I, it's interesting to think about what the equivalent might be, and I might submit that it would be this rust belt steel workers. Nurse wife, oh, yeah. and pitching our message to uh, a, a nurse mom, uh, they're also unionized and and have you know massive struggles of their own uh, that will be taking place in a, a graying world there, there's just going to be more nurses in the future than there will be steel workers
1: you know we can talk about this forever, but um yeah, if you see the latest polls, I mean there is a stark divide between how Trump plays. Out among men, as opposed to among women, mm-hmm. like and I, uh, and you can see that in terms of party as
0: well. But it's pretty strong. Yeah. Do you feel drawn by your uh, prostate to Trump?
1: Um, a little <laughs> bit. Like I, I, was definitely moved, and I'm like, this guy's saying terrible things, but I am moved by this speech. He was saying things I thought were stupid policy. Yeah. I would be moved by this person in front of me for sure, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think maybe my prostate is telling me to vote for Trump, but my head is saying like, no, international politics, blah 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 blah, and my
0: prostate's like, shut up, <laughs> shut up, weenie. Well, no one knows more about prostates than nurses. Yeah, maybe they will find a way to to set those prostates straight <laughs> in, in twenty twenty. <laughs> Uh, So I think that's it for uh,
1: Outside the Bubble. Do you want to go on to random shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we are both Star Trek fans. Yeah. Um, And uh, you described your political outlook as Gene Roddenberry-inspired liberalism. Yeah. Um, So I thought that was an interesting way to think about what what the franchise in particular meant to you. And uh,
0: what do you think of it? Well, alright, so I I think it it doesn't, I mean, you can't derive, like, great politics from the original series, or even Next Generation, or really any of them. It it is kind of like a military, like, world that these people have decided to voluntarily enter or whatever. Sure. Um, It's not like an anarchist vessel, you know, where they're all just kind of, like, getting by. But what I love about Star Trek is that it it tries and it tempts, it blesses its heart. It gives, to create, like, a, a, a multicultural society that works. It seems to, like, be trying very hard to look at what the problems are in this, like, Horrible melting pot of America okay. uh, trying to imagine
1: a world where the basic surface issues have been uh, have been sort of dealt with yeah um, and to me like I'm, I'm a, a fairly big Star Trek fan but I think I, I more or less kind of tap in and out around the next generation sure. that that's just how, how old I was and I didn't necessarily follow the franchise all that much um, And one of the things about the reboots in terms of the movies uh, was that they Garbage. Uh, Utterly watchable action films, um, but I think they tended to sidestep a lot of like the politics or the yeah yeah. yeah. And I think that's
0: a little disappointing. Oh yeah, I mean, I guess what what I really mean when I say I like I I like Star Trek is because like every problem is solved with like a board meeting where everybody weighs in, right, and gets mad at each other, but at the end of the day, like respects each other and there's a decision made and it's usually a counterintuitive decision. And the, the point of this show is to, to show that consensus gets you a better decision than, like, an arbitrary one decision made without consulting people.
1: Yeah, and it's a very, like, a genial way to look at how a military command structure would take in...
0: Yeah, or, or diplomatic, or business. Yeah, yeah, yeah it would yeah. take in uh, different viewpoints, right? Sure, and, you know, people are reduced... Kind of problematically to their core impulses, you know whether that's like empathy or rage, but it is interesting that they are often able to kind of transcend them when they're communicating with each other, so when the captain's away or there's just like scenes where it's just them talking to each other, they are able to humanize each other in ways that I think like kind of makes people you know feel connected to Star Trek who are marginal people you know? right, and I think it's it's much
1: more about uh a community of different types of people trying to work towards a common. They're all acting in good faith, yeah. Right, right, right. Do you think that there was a couple of episodes or anything like that? It was like, okay, well, this is the episode that best encapsulates, like, kind of the
0: mission of Star Trek. Yeah, there's one. Uh, in the original series, it's one with Ron Howard's little brother. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like this thing shows up, and they try all these different shit to like make it go away, and they get kind of trapped in it, and then it turns out that it's just like an alien fucking with them to see yeah. if they're like good bugle or not. Right. That that episode to me is like a cla- an a archetypal Star Trek episode. Yeah. Where they're just confronted with some like challenging danger. Right. And they... You know, try many different scientific and military techniques in order to get away from it or, you know, fight it, and then ultimately it's revealed to be a prank by like some alien god.
1: Is there an episode that you return to that you're like, oh, okay, well, this is what something I can I continue to draw lessons from?
0: Before I answer that question, because sure. there's a clear answer just for me personally, yeah. I'm going to put to you a question that Gene always asks, yeah. which is like, so what would your Star Trek be? Like, what would your. You know, if you were designing a Star Trek, what would it look like? You know, if you were writing the next Star Trek.
1: This is actually uh, not an uncommon theme I return to. Um, <laughs> I would, I would want it to be kind of a, a trading sp- station in the middle of the Star Trek where they just start to meet other cultures, right? And so, it w- and so, effectively, it's a strip mall. <laughs> very intergalactic strip mall. Sure. Um, floating. Sp- strip mall in space where all these other like uh, races have to come together for the first time and like they're, and for some reason they're in the way station so it's a little bit like Deep Space Nine yeah thing. but it, but it's just commerce based it's, it's commerce and low
0: stakes I guess <laughs>
1: Like and yeah and but also like but the whole point is that the people have to learn to interact with each other and yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. more like uh, wings like a bazaar Right. Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah yeah so like a bazaar so it's
0: not so different from mall rats Star Trek yeah <laughs>
1: kind of it's more like Seventy Fourth Street, on yeah, Jackson yeah, Heights, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, it's just this like bizarre people who have to like kind of come in and like, um, and, and negotiate, and it would be a little bit more like a uh, like an early medieval town, right? There actually has to be a power structure, and there are dra- dramatic stakes, but they effectively are are trying to deal with these flows of people who come in and trade and and try to create some semblance of stability in an otherwise chaotic. Kind of trading environment, or I mean, trade is more the reason that they're together.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I part. can see some sort of like federation affirmative action where they say like, okay, we're opening this like awesome you know trading station by this wormhole. Right. But we can't have you know everybody's got to be from a different planet. All right, all right. Yeah, so yeah. it's more like a checkpoint Charlie,
1: like like the f- four or five races. Oh, okay. okay yeah. This is an entrepot, this is where we're meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're going to establish this space and we're gonna trade among each other, but like we have different representatives. So we have like a quarter that is like yeah, the federation yeah. quarter, and then we have the Klingon quarter. Right, right. And then we have people And it's up,
0: a convenient place for other, you know races, races to show up and right. that do that. They've got a great like convention. Site. Right, right. So things can't get out of control yeah. because they want the peace, but they have to Oh make, that's interesting maybe it's like the only place that isn't federation space. Right, exactly. So, you know, even the federation it yeah. has to be like you know, release their weapons there And, like, be on guard Because this is, like...
1: To be fair, I would have pitched something very similar If you asked me what my sitcom is
0: <laughs> Sure It would have been... It would have been a diversity-based <laughs> just want to see this, like... Diversity-based strip <laughs> I don't have that many ideas
1: <laughs> <laughs> So back to my question Is there, like, a... Are there any Star Treks that you, like, go back to?
0: Yeah, my favorite character in Star Trek is Harry Mudd Who I don't know if you remember him But, uh, he's no. in a couple episodes Uh, in the future the conceit is that they have solved the problem of mental illness and criminality much like in you know Soviet Russia sure but he is some uh, character in Star Trek that
1: oh he's the dirtbag
0: yeah he's the dirtbag he's great the actor that plays him is great he always shows up, and they're endlessly amused by it because I guess they never encounter anybody that's a dirtbag human. <laughs> so it's just like they, they keep, but it's always a punitive relationship. They keep like capturing him, yeah. and sending him for like reeducation and readjustment or whatever. Yeah. So my Star Trek would be. Uh, it would be just called Star Trek Mud and it would be about the interim period between the original series and Next Generation and Mud is just trying to sell them on holodeck technology (laughs) like for some reason he's the guy that like has the patent on holodeck technology and so he's trying he's just going around being like look like you know why not? Like, like, create, like on Like these, these voyages. Like you need people like me to keep them sane. You know, <laughs> right? They're gonna be bored. Or they're out gonna of their be mind. bored. Out of their- I've seen these guys. They're fucking crazy. They go crazy and they'll like get into scrapes. We have to like create scrapes for them. You know, and it would just be about that. The uh, you know Star Trek and it's in the mental illness that it ha- happens on like long voyages and it's like one operator trying to put together this massive like you know trade deal this military contract right. deal that would go standard on every ship and then you know like him getting in the way of it over and over again because he's a derp <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I, think, I think our ideas combined would make a really good show yeah it would be better it would be like uh, Better Call Saul <laughs> yeah, Star Trek Whirler yeah yeah like yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, um, my mom's people are are they're Gujaratis so they're uh, a particular group of Indians and they're known as being ferocious, uh, they tend to be very, like... I board games just, you son! <laughs> <laughs> I know how that works! They're ferocious, so they're, they're really, like, uh, they're very, like, a very, like, hard-minded uh, traders and business people, yeah. and I refer to my people, I refer to my mother's people as the Ferengi <laughs> of India, um, which I realize is probably pretty racist, um, but, uh, it is my mother's people, so, yeah, um, yeah. Do you Is there a Star Trek character That you identify with
0: More than others uh,
1: I mean like I think it's It's really obvious I mean so I think In a lot of ways um, Obviously the o- old Spock Was someone yeah. And I think it's I don't know if I really Related to uh, Anyone in the next generation Which was the sh- show I had the most stake in But um, I still think that uh, There's something like wonderfully optimistic about the picard character sure that i think it it, it was just a, a way of, of sort of correcting the past yeah that like i really appreciated what they did um it is worth it to think about this franchise because it does i mean it
0: is a political outlook that i think has framed a lot of people right yeah yeah i mean i think it's the secret like what we all are as americans We're you know we're star trek yeah, yeah, for people.
1: sure. I, oh, right. I absolutely know, like, I mean, on the right and the left,
0: certainly, yeah. like, military people love Star <laughs> absolutely. Trek. You could, um, you could just be like, I'm a Star Trek Democrat, and people would be like, well, then I'm switching over. Or not at <laughs> all.
1: I'm a Star Trek Republican. Oh, yeah. yeah like, well,
0: people would take a second look at it. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a way of looking at the world that has some of the most attractive things in it about the American space and a lot of the dangers and pitfalls and shows the limitations and is a great way for us to think about uh, Yeah, um, absolutely brainially um,
1: Yep. So that brings us to that brings us to the end of uh, episode ten of Room of Requirement.
0: Uh, uh, thanks everyone for listening, and thanks to thanks to Kevin Carter for our fantastic uh, yeah, absolutely. music. Uh, check us out on uh, Reddit. Yeah, our Room of Requirement. Yeah, uh,
1: as well as um, as well on we're on Twitter and on
0: Facebook. As and, at RoomoReq R E Q. At uh, yeah,
1: at rec podcast podcast <laughs> at of rec Podcast. it was what I could get. <laughs> yeah no it's good sorry about that <laughs> no no um, it's me. <laughs> and
0: uh yeah if you, uh, rate us on
1: iTunes yeah, yeah yeah
0: and tell us what to tell us what to talk yeah, about sure. next week guys, as far as a random shit segment uh otherwise we're just gonna keep talking about Star Trek <laughs> yeah we may as well run this out <laughs> All right. All right. thanks everyone yeah
1: yeah